Hello and welcome to Culture Conversations. I'm Craig Foreman, your guide through the ever-evolving world of organizational culture. Here we engage in real, unscripted conversations with the changemakers actively shaping our workplaces. From innovative strategies to heartfelt insights, each conversation is a step towards making work work better for us all. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Culture Conversations. Welcome to Culture Conversations. My guest today is Tara Turk-Haynes, who has had a really incredible professional journey and it's been marked by a series of progressive roles in various organizations. Uh, most recently, she was the VP of DE&I, also in talent management at Leaf Group. Uh, but prior to that, she worked in talent acquisition and employee engagement at MetaCloud uh, as the Director of Administration and Operations. She also held editorial roles at Variety Magazine, and studied playwriting in school. So I studied playwright as well. Um, it's a fascinating career journey that proves as a reminder, it's not always a straight line, that things can take unexpected turns and you know all those unrelated things can play out in interesting ways. Personally, I first met uh, Tara at a Work Human conference probably five or six years ago. And as I remember it, I was having a conversation uh, with some people there and she had overheard the conversation and walked up and we started talking. She was super engaged about employee engagement and data and what I was talking about. And then we started working together uh, on that. We brought in Culture Amp. We started leveraging um, ways to collect and understand data and which led to including her, you know, involved in our content and getting her on panels. And I will say that I always walked away fascinated by her story especially in a world where it seems like so many climb a prescribed path. I always felt a sense of camaraderie with her as someone whose passions dovetailed with her career and somebody whose journey was unique and not prescribed. And that's, I saw that in myself. So today in our conversation, a couple of the key topics we talk about are navigating dynamic career transitions. So identifying those hidden talents in employees and ourselves and the power of mentorship to help shape careers. Uh, the interplay between personal interest and professional skills. How do we really look at those things that bring us a lot of joy and plug those into our professional life? And finally, navigating workplace culture in challenging times, which is as important now as ever. So to be with her once again, to have the opportunity to sit down and dig in is something I'll never pass on. I'm so excited to share her her brilliance with more people that may be getting introduced to her for the first time. And it's it's such a treat. So with that, Tara, welcome to Culture Conversations. How are you? I'm good. I'm recovering from travel, but I'm good. Where have you been? Just real quickly, we'll come back to it. Where, where where have your travels taken you? So if I say it out loud, it doesn't really feel like a whirlwind situation, but the body, as you get older, the body is like, that's a whirlwind. So I went LA to New York. New York was 72 hours. Then uh, late last flight from New York to San Fran, landing at midnight, then getting <laughs> on the stage for uh, Culture Amp at 7 7 a.m the next morning yeah there all day then my flight back home i think the last flight back to la so the body is a little, a little yeah and you were conferencing number one and when you got to san francisco you were co-emceeing so yeah. it wasn't just it was yeah. there was a lot of there was a lot was of a, yes focus. there was activity galore for sure but it was great seeing you Oh, it was good to see you. It's always good to see you. Thanks. And um, so for, real quick, because I, you know, on these, this whole podcast is about conversation. So we're not yes. going to spend forever on the background, but I do think it's important if somebody's listening and doesn't know you, how mm -hmm. would you quickly describe you, your work, what you're about uh, for, for anybody listening just to help set the stage? Uh, yes. Um, so I've been in 
talent and engagement for over 15 years. Uh, the last uh, four or five have been in DEI as well. Um, and, you know, got into it, well, got into talent accidentally. I was an admin for <laughs> an executive and then had a mentor who was like, I think you'd be really good at talent acquisition. And they were, they were correct. I really liked it. And I'm always about representation of people and kind of those all things came together. Um, and I've been just agile in the course of my learning and hopefully impact on other people ever since. So that is me. Judge, <laughs> you've had to impact. Well, you said something interesting here. So here we go. Yes. Um, I think it's really important just, you know, a lot of people, particularly in the space that we're in, how to get into it, how to move into yeah. it, share that you were an EA, I, like what an interesting journey and then moved into it. Um, yeah. What, I guess there's two sides of the question. One is just personally, yeah. but I think I want to hit a little bit too, if anybody, because I love these interesting career journeys and paths. Yeah. Uh, you say to other people, like, I just love that there was that, that moment where somebody sp spotted something in you. Mm -hmm. Just talking about uh, different types of career paths and, and getting into this work. I am a huge advocate for that. So my trade really is playwriting. I went to grad school for that. I still am a playwright. I just finished a commission and um, was in a writer's room. So I never stopped doing that. But in grad school, one of my beloved uh, professors, uh, was a professional playwright, Edward Allen Baker, early on said, you are not going to be rich being a playwright. <laughs> he was like, just so you know, you can have a play on Broadway. You're still going to have three jobs. Like it, he just like said it straight. So like that dream of starving artists was never my bag anyway. And I had to feed myself. And so administrative work because of the type of personality I am was just like how I did that for years. Um, and uh, my mentor, Beverly Carmichael, who was the former chief people officer at Southwest and Ticketmaster, she was my boss at Ticketmaster. And she was just like, you know, because I was there when they hired her. And she was like, I've watched you. I feel like you've got a hidden talent in there. And I just want to see if you're interested. And so it definitely takes someone to see something in you, which I think is super valuable. And I try to do that in my own leadership of just, you know, the world kind of when you get out of school, and I'm not even saying college, because a lot of people don't go to college, but just in general, it's like a liberal arts worlds where you're like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I'm not sure. But it's helpful to have somebody who's going to um, present ideas to you and see if you like it. And we try it. And I think um, that's definitely set me on a path of where I am now. If I was talking to Beverly and I asked her what it was that she saw in you. Yeah. You know, what do you, what do you think she'd say? I'm a, I engage with people really easily. Like I just was never the kind of assistant who um, changed depending on who I talked to. In fact, some of the executives I'd worked for, um, they were very, they, they solicited my opinion. Like, how did this person treat you when you were talking to them, when you're scheduling this meeting or, you know, they're very much about like, who's treating people at all levels of this organization, how? And so I was very, you know, forthcoming, but I'm also like, I love talking to people, um, even though I'm an extroverted introvert. So, it, you know, either way it goes, I think that she, um, 
really saw that that was helpful. And I also had a good assessment of people, um, very interested in people. Well, that's, that's great. Right. That yeah. you think the core piece there and for anybody listening, I think you were, you were displaying even maybe not even intentionally all the time. You're, you're interested in people, your ability to read people, yeah. you're asking mm-hmm. you people. So yeah. that's kind of where, you know, and I think these are the kinds of things that can come through in different roles. This is not role specific, right? You might be doing another job right now, but go, that's, that's, that's what I love. And how do how do you amplify that? How do you have, you know, others see that? Yes. Yeah. Cause I take that for granted, like, especially probably early in my career, I just thought everybody was like that. And it's not true. And we all have our different unique talents. There are some people who just, that's not their talent. They have other ones. And I think um, that's valuable too, but I think she's the kind of person who always seeks to find people's hidden talents and amplify them. She's demonstrated that even to this day, cause I still talk to her even in her fake retirement of being on a million different boards. <laughs> like, I, feel like she, I met her. I'm not sure if that's the one I met at a conference, um, but I know she left. She was there for 20 something years. Did she start as like a ticketing agent and moved all the way up? Was that the person? Oh, no, no. She was only there for a few years because she was at Southwest before that. Um, oh, Southwest. I knew a woman at Southwest, woman at Southwest that had running culture for many, many years. Yeah, she was the CPO with the early like Herb Kelleher. She brought Herb Kelleher to the to the Ticketmaster office, which was such a great treat because that old school sort of Southwest um, culture, uh, you know, reputation was something I think even back then people were like, how did you do this? Um, And I actually she wrote the foreword to one of the books on Southwest and I read it and I was like fascinated, like talk about like startup before there was a startup. It was just so fascinating. So the culture of necessity of being kind, you know, like you had to in that like market, I think. You hit on something I think really important. I want to call out that I've, I've found myself and I think it's really important again to highlight is that be careful not to undervalue the things that you do really well. I think we all think we do it really well. Therefore it's just easy. And there, if it's easy, then it's, while and I think oftentimes I have this conversation and even reflection for myself sometimes yeah. to remember that our greatest gifts feel easy to us and be looking for that and they're valuable and yeah. downplay that and like and we need others reflection but I think sometimes people minimize their best gifts and don't see the value and don't lean into the value in this world that we're living in and leverage that I a hundred percent agree with you but we I also think we live in our own mind a lot so we just think like for me, I have a personal high bar. And so I'm just like, if I didn't hit the bar in my mind, then that, then I'm still working on that gift rather than it just like being there and just developing as I grow as a person, rather than just seeing like an overall goal and just being like, oh, I could have done that presentation better. Oh, I could have talked to that person in a different way, you know, like, but you did it like, and you did it in a way that not everybody can do it, which is so valuable. So you're right. I think we need to kind of take a little inventory sometimes and be like, Hey, and like, as a kid, I've played guitar my whole life. And I I noticed that there was a moment where I had to stop. I always, no matter how how well I played, of course, as a player, I was always comparing myself to the greats and still almost missing how far I'd come because I'm chasing this, 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 the, you know, not even chasing, but just being influenced by, and stopping to realize you're probably better than 95% of people that play guitar, but you're right. still on Eddie Van Halen. Like, of course, like, and I still love that, but yeah. don't 
like sight of, you know, you're, you know, that's that own critic of like, well, I'm not that good, you know, versus- oh, a hundred percent. Cause like, first of all, I didn't know you played guitar. So that's amazing. But like, I think for me, there was a moment in, early in my career um, when I lived in New York and I was like second EA to a very, um, well, at the time, infamous executive. Um, and, you know, back in the day when you were an admin, you had to, you were rolling calls. So you had to like listen to the conversation and take notes for that executive. And I think he was the kind of person that was so oblivious to like other people completely like kind of little selfish, arrogant way. Um, and I used to, again, being engaging, I told the person he was talking to when I was putting the call through, we had casual conversation and I was just like, there, Oh, where'd you go to school? And would you study? And I was like, Oh, you know, playwriting. And this person mentioned it to my boss and was just like, Oh, your assistant, you know, is like a playwright. That's kind of cool. And he just kind of like brushed it off. It was just like, <laughs> I guess, I mean, whatever. And I was like, oh, maybe is that something I should not be talking about at work? Right. Like, or maybe he had like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not on this trajectory of fame. Cause he had a lot of like famous friends. And I was like, oh, in his mind, I am not on that trajectory. And two, should I not talk about myself at work? Because it obviously is something that this person doesn't value. So for many years, I never told people that I was also a playwright because of that reason. And I was like, re- only recently have I been like, hey, with the DE&I work that I do and sharing vulnerabilities and invisible you know, um, capabilities, that I start talking about it because it gives me dimension. But early on, that was squashed. For sure. Like it's got a story it wasn't valuable and you hid it away and stopped sharing that part of yourself. Yeah. And if you it's so interesting, like to look back for all of us to unplug and pack, you know, sometimes be critical of where did we get our messages? That was a hu- one human, probably an arrogant, narcissistic human. One thousand percent. That one you probably heard a lot of people love that you're I think it's incredible. But you know, if it's if it hits that insecurity that button, one person and I was like, Oh, you know, it just gave me shivers and I was like, Oh, you know. While we're there, because this is the last question about your your career, when I was listening, I thought it was really interesting. And I, I love this too. Also, I think some people think, you know, the story I'm starting over, I'm changing careers. I'm always like, but yeah. you're like you, no. so I'm curious to ask you now you've come far enough in your career to look back. You know, I'm sure at one point you're like, what am I doing? Playwright. Now I'm doing this. Now I'm doing that. What do you think you got from studying and being a playwright? that's with you today. And like, I, I think that's really neat to look at your past experiences that might not at the time have seen connected, but now that you're far enough, you can look back. What do you think um, the value of studying that learning that and being a playwright is in your work today? So it's so funny you say that. Cause I've been thinking about that for the past few years. Um, so grad school for me, um, I went to Sarah Lawrence for grad school in theater the way that they ran their program was that you had to do, it was like a theater company. So you couldn't just go in there and say, I'm a playwright. I'm just going to take playwriting courses. I had to produce, I had to direct, I had to act and I had to do costume and, you know, all of these different things. And I feel like the, that made me a more complex person now. Um, my first play and this is such a it's kind of a moving story and i'll try to keep it as short as possible but my first play that i did was a very good friend of mine who just recently passed away she was an actress and it was her first play that she wrote for our program and it was 
not a light subject matter. We're talking domestic violence and whatever. And I had to play this person. And in order to graduate, we had a, a, a production weekend. Um, and uh, I had to play this woman who was uh, visiting her mom who was in jail for killing the spouse for domestic violence. And I too was experiencing the same thing. And my father who has since passed had never seen me do like any of this. And like, he was like, I can't come to your graduation, but I'm going to come to see these weekend of plays that you're in. And I was like, okay, dad, you know, and he, and he, he saw me and he was like, so visibly moved. I mean, this is like a man who worked on at Ford for like 50 years, 40 years, never really kind of artistic at all. And he was just like, how did you do that? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, how did you like make that moment real? for people. Like, how did you, he just kept asking me so many questions. He was so impressed. He was like, I just didn't, I've never seen you in that way. Fathom how that, how did did that even. And so that connection to people, right. And even my own dad who loved me beyond words, but still clearly, clearly made an impact. No, I was never going to be an actress. However, understanding what theater does for people in the real world which is connection, community, impact, making people be in a moment is something I think that has helped me in my career completely. I can see different sides of people. I can see everyone's motivation. You know, I can see, a, you know, a story developing and it, I never, I never waver from that. And it's given me the confidence to be able to speak to people because it's not about me. It's about our moment. You know what I mean? Well, I love that question. I mean, that really just came to me. I mean, I thought about it along the way, but it's yeah. I love the answer and that question. And I think it's so important too, to like, you know, especially for younger, maybe somebody younger in their career, they're like wondering what it's worth or what's going on. And just please, everything is giving you something and it's all, it all sort of comes together and makes sense. And yeah. I have an interesting one. I'll share one that in yeah. we'll on the music theme. So I was, I was, I did not want anybody when I started playing guitar, I did not want anybody I had to force me. I just, I wanted it to be my thing. I didn't want to be yeah. forced. I didn't really take many lessons. I never learned to, to read music. Um, but I, I, over the years, it was just my thing. And I learned to play by ear and then starting to play with others and kind of like the struggles through improvisation, you know, just mm-hmm. learn, like learning something by ear. And I, I remember back then, like in, in moments playing with people in the early days because I didn't read. So I just had to kind of follow along and like how awkward and how, uh, how, difficult that was but i think and what i realized is improvisation is kind of a muscle like trusting yourself in the moment to just let go mm-hmm. and now i i do that more easily you know when i when i perform or if i'm on a stage and you know you you've seen me but i think back to i never would have connected the dots but i think i worked the muscle out through the guitar so when yeah. i go to meetings sometimes with executives or i can just let go i can just say you know i've yes. done my preparation I'm going to sit in that yep. room and just be and trust my instinct and intuition. And I think that's something I might take for granted sometimes, but I think back to all those years when it was uncomfortable and realizing a lot of people have never worked that muscle out and it is a muscle and, yes. you know, something I didn't think I'd get because of playing the guitar. And now I see it all over the place. It's, it's, uh, your talent as a human, right? And then when you do practice, I think it comes out in different ways and it's, so interesting we think about moments where we just trust that what, what we are experiencing is going to be a benefit in the long run no matter what you know like everything like you said everything contributes along the way you're just picking up little different skill sets along the way 
putting in a little bas- basket until you need them. You know, that's what actors do like all the time. You know, just yeah, be with it. And if you're younger in the journey, just trust that you're you are collecting the pieces that are eventually going to come together if you let it be. Exactly. Um, before yeah. we move on, are you are you into musical theater or is it only is it kind of more? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I like some musical theater, but I'm more uh, drama. We just, you know, yeah, I still see a lot. And uh, yeah, I, love I was going to ask you what your favorite musical theater play is. I like the like really sort of like grimier ones like Cabaret and Hamilton. I, I'm not a, you know, sort of light and airy musical person and you know they're fun i mean when i was a kid the first one i ever saw i think was um uh stormy weather and american in paris like i thought that that's you know the i used to watch old movies with my mom all the time and so i was like those are great and then you see like some of them and you're like oh not all of them are (laughs) you're a miss fan not really. And that's only because in high school we had to read it in French and it was the bane of my existence because I was not a very good French student in high school. Like I could, it was very conjugations. And I was like, I just am taken out of this story because I just don't know what I'm doing here. For yep. me, if I say lame, I, I like a couple, but kinky boots. Yeah. I don't know if that falls in the light and airy. It's, it's, I think it's a boots. mixture. It's definitely a mixture. I've seen it a couple of times. I think it's a fun one, but yeah, I like the adult grimy kind of there, ones. but it's packaged, it's packaged kind of light, but it has some really, in, some, some, some dark, no, deep, 100%. Beats. 100%. And like, oh, also my friend Dominique's, uh, um, Temptations, um, you know, ain't too proud, like, love that because I think it sneaks up on you, you know. Nice. Um, I so I had asked just before we got started, but I'll ask again. I said just you know it's kind of interesting. I said what's 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 up for you right now? What's going on? What's on your mind? Um, yeah. So I asked again, like yeah, what's what's on your mind right now? What's going on just professionally or the world and how it's all connecting? And what are you thinking about? Um, you know, it's I was just having this conversation with some friends uh, who are not sort of in our space, but just you know in the world and. Um, other things are happening in the world and like how that translates to conversations in the workplace. Um, you know, obviously thinking about, the, I was, I mean, I've always thought about this, but there are moments in the world in the past few years that kind of keep hitting this conversation for me. And it's just like, you know, George Floyd and like, how do we talk about this in a way that um, addresses that we are, not uniform in our educational sort of knowledge because we don't have like uniform education in the U.S. or globally for that matter. It's not like you can like, yes, you this requirement of learning about this is met. You know, what I feel like I've learned in Detroit as a young Black girl is kind of different than what other people have learned. And so this keeps coming up because I do feel like we have to talk about it because there are people impacted in our organization as the world gets like more technology, technologically advanced and digital age and virtual. And like, we've got people all over the world. Um, How are we having these conversations? So those people feel seen when there's something that happens that affects them. Um, And like, how are you as a leader sitting with processing but also holding space for the people around you. Um, people are very sensitive, you know, cause like when you hear like 
you haven't said anything. Like the biggest thing I I get as a DEI person is like my company never said anything about, and you can fill in the blank at this point because there's so many world things that have happened. Um, how how do we meet that demand thoughtfully and mindfully, um, and gently, so people feel seen, but also not rushing to solving the problem. Like it's not necessarily about like. I have the answer for what's happening in this world, but how do we let them know we're thinking about it as leaders? Um, because it affects productivity. It affects what people do. Like if I'm really upset about something that's happened to my community, obviously I'm not going to do great in a meeting. Sometimes I'm going to be wanting to check my phone. I want to, you know, this presentation may not go well, this conversation, I might be distracted on something else. And so I myself into, you know, I found myself doing that this week. I drift into the news. Yeah. And- state of being would change and yeah your body physically every time time this happens so just we're talking right now on on the heels of of israel and gaza but you know every time this happens i also think there's this interesting thing of we can see it in such a big scale but the truth is this is happening all the time i mean if somebody in your family dies it's just as intense as some of the you know other things so my i think we talk about it when it's large scale but the reality is at individual levels this is happening all the time for people. Yeah. I think that really kind of solidified for me a few years ago. And I think it's the same conference you and I, you and I actually met at, which is that one of those culture con- uh, conferences in San Fran where Michelle Mijan Kim did one of the keynotes. And I think you were there, but she was talking about how people can't compartmentalize themselves at work. So if you read a headline, there is a solid chance that it's happening to someone in your organization and they have been changed. And so for us to go on as business as usual is really challenging and asking a lot of our people. So how do we hold that space for them? Right. How do we allow them to know we're thinking of them? Like this is a space that you can feel like you can be candid and say, you know, today's just like not happening for me because I I'm checking my phone. I want to see if loved ones or I'm, you know, however, it doesn't even have to be a direct connection. It could just be your community and like people that you love associated with that community. Right. It's not always even about visibly like I don't have a connection to Gaza directly. If you look at me, you wouldn't assume that. But I have really good friends who from Palestine and really good friends who are like, from Israel. Like I just, you know, and I love them and I'm hurting for them. Hmm. So it's, it's, uh, you know, I think people make judgments based off of like, Oh, if it's just something that happened in the black community, that's the only reason why I would be affected, but that's not necessarily true. All idea of intersectionality. I mean, look, I'm having so many times we have these conversations and in some ways I am empathetic and outsider talking about it. And I'm Jewish and, you know, as a Jewish American, you're raised, you know, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. You just, there's a lot in Israel. There's a lot in all of it. And there always has been. And it's a very, you know, even myself grappling with what does that mean over the years? And what about the policies and all that? And also through my journey and trying to be more open-minded, like very aware of these scenarios when, when there were attacks, you know, on the, on the Asian community or yes. just, and, 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 and staying aware of that's happening for people and how to just, how do I show up? But I say in this one, I, it's the difference between like cognitively understanding and experiencing. I will say that this week there's been moments of like 
I'm feeling in an alternate reality. Like when you're in a space when it's so heavy and it's so big and no one's like saying anything and you're like, yeah, out of your body a little bit or, you know, so just, I'm just reflecting as, as I'm going through this myself of like, what's the experience like when it's, when it's me, when it, when it's something that's impacting me so much where you assume everybody knows, you know, they're watching the news. They might not know something happened at my house or my home. Right. And that this, and like, and, and, and maybe asking you because you've done this work, like, like, what is the answer to your point? Like, it's not that we need to rush in and like save, like get the savior mode. No. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of it right now. still even processing that. Well, I think the I the 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 reality of understanding that we are all real time processing, right? Um I'm hope I'm cautiously optimistic because I feel like since George Floyd, which is a pivotal moment because I think it taught people a lot of different things, which is that um we can still real and Tamir Rice and all you know, I can go on the list, but like you know, Sandra Bland, we are in the moment processing that we are not all having the same experience in this world, that there are groups of people who experience this all the time. And they've been, they've had to feel like they are covering in order to get their jobs done. And now we're understanding what covering is because so many different communities have had things happen that we are now bringing to the surface. They're not new things because we've been in, you know, things happen to people since the beginning of time. But I feel like now um, with the speed of which things, the news reaches us, social media and all of these, it's reaching us so much quicker. And these are happening so much faster. We're not getting time to process. Yeah. You know, but we still need to process, which I think leads to a lot of the burnout conversations that we're having for people and, you know, the weight of, you know, the the workplace shifting. Um, But I think hopefully it's a moment where we all different communities sit back as we, you know, embrace each other and say, I empathize with, I saw someone last night at an event who is um, a member of the Jewish community. And I could, I was like, you know, we're at an event and it's loud. And I was like, how are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm, fine. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, how are you doing? And do you need anything? Like, that's when like you're at, it's a loud event. People are around, but we have created a, sp- a moment for each other. Cause I said, I know, I just want you to know that I can feel and empathize what you're, you, what you must be feeling. Cause I have kind of been there in a different way, but how do we, let people know on a larger scale As that it's come up for me early in my career and my own journey working with you know organizations and engagement i worked at a company called achievers and we did recognition and rewards software mm-hmm. and there was something like if there was a like a i typically take a big theme from some of my job experiences yeah. and there was one that i took there through the vision through the lens of recognition and rewards that is i have laid it over all my work since and it still holds and it is this fundamental it's like fundamentally people want to be seen and heard yes there's a deep because i think we it, it we are safe if we're seen and heard if we are not we are not safe as humans right we're connected yes and um i think what i'm hearing and i think you know there's all you know the different pieces of advice and when to be quiet or when not i think what you just shared would evoke for me is i don't think any i need much from anybody or i can i or i need to take responsibility to ask for to get my needs met i think what you just shared what, what hit me was just it's just like knowing that someone like 
oh, you see me, you know that I'm going, like, I don't need much more. Yeah. I need you to solve anything. I think that's like when you shared that conversation, if you would have come up to me, we could have said that and gone about the evening. And I was just like, oh, I just feel seen. Like this is happening for me. And someone just took a moment yeah. to recognize that without trying to solve it. So maybe that's the theme. I mean, I was thinking as you were talking, like, well, what yeah. the leaders? And maybe that's, there's maybe not one answer other than just, just what's, in what way it could be, maybe it is through Slack. Maybe so much engineers that like, I don't know what's the best way to help people in your world be seen and heard without. Yeah. I don't know. is very powerful. We always say this for leaders. I don't know is a great sentence because it makes people feel like you're human and they believe in you more. But I think being the person who sees the person is important in creating that space. But also if you are receiving that, how do we break the cycle of us going, oh, I'm fine. Because that's our immediate response when someone says, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm fine. I'm great. But if you're not, it's okay to kind of just. I, I think you just exemplified. I mean, that's a great skill for a leader. If you really intuitively yeah. sense that, you know, that's how people are going to naturally answer. Just to say, yeah. them, I just want to ask you and just check in. Like, I'm looking at you. How are you okay? Yeah. Yep. Because at that point, it's like, hey, hey, I'm fine. And then, okay, I'll back off. Or like, thank you. Like, now I see that you're really going the extra step just to see me. So we Yeah, we're not doing just like polite banter. I'm really just asking you how you are actually doing. And then if they say they're okay, back off. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, Don't keep going after that. No, no. Just I, I see you. I'm here. If you need anything. You know, there's I a lot. Think, I think for a lot of leaders, it's just, just I think the I think one of the things that keeps people from doing this, particularly leaders, is the fear that they're not going to know what to do or how to solve it. So it keeps that's where the silence comes from. Yep. And just say, you, it's OK. The objective here is it's not about, solving it. Frame the objective is I no. my objective here is to see that human. I don't I clearly don't have the answer to solve trauma that could be tied to, to, to you know, no one is asking you to be a global diplomat. A policy change maker, politician, a solver of all problems. I think that's the trap that a lot of us get yeah, into. And I think that's where we stay leadership. silent, where the pain comes from. Yeah. We don't, we're scared a leader not. solves things. No, a leader just solves for business things. But the human part of it, right, is not solving, but rather seeing authentically that human being that is on your team or in your company. And just even if they want to say four words or zero words, they know they can, right? And that's a safe space. And just how do we level up our leaders more? Because it's like these these are the kinds of things that can be taught. And I think when you just advance people through the ranks and say, now you're a leader, like you, sometimes you're missing the point. Oh, yeah. I love this conversation. I see we're running on time. I I, I think the last thing I want to talk to you, because we were both at the uh, the Culture Amp uh, Leaders Forum last, what was it? Was it last week? Was it a week? I don't know what days are anymore. I don't know. We're just in time. We're just there together, and I was—I wanted to ask you what—what what did you uh, let the, just kind of have our final part of our conversation around? What did you walk? What were some of the highlights, or what were some of the ahas or takeaways? You know, from that time, from that time together, and what you heard, or what was going on there. It was really great to hear authentically from some really impactful HR leaders on the practicality of navigating culture within the organization. Cause I do feel like we're talking about really nuanced things in the last few years when we talk about like the revolution of work and, and culture and DEI and these things that we still don't share definitions of in each, you know, 
company or even department, they can be different definitions, but the practicality of creating that space was really interesting. How do you work with other leaders, right? To get what you need in order to make sure that this environment is what it needs to be. Um, you know, what's important as being an HR leader now, as opposed to, it's not just like policies and, you know, all of these different things, there's like a human element and it's so valuable to have HR leaders. I think talk about that more because I think hopefully we're changing the face of what people think HR really is. And that's from like the people in the organization, as well as like leaders. Um, it's human centric. It's a, it, we're moving towards like the human, like ability to, to, to create space for humans in the workplace, like, and doing that in the best way possible. Um, so I was, I really loved seeing that, com those kind of conversations happen, how people are doing it differently. You know, you're having like, you know, fractional or you're having part-time, you know, co-leads because of children and burnout and like being super vulnerable about like, this may not look the same for everybody. It's like relationships, like what works for you and your relationship may not work for anybody else, but I'm sharing what works for us because this is what, you know, that's this is what we do. And I think that's really important and valuable. Yeah. I, agree. Yeah. I think a big takeaway, there was a moment, I mean, I have a few takeaways, some are more practical, but there was the question was asked how many people, so it was uh, primarily senior HR leaders, probably representing 60, 70 companies in the room. And yeah. said, how many people have experienced a reduction in force in the last yeah. year? And almost every hand went up. And I, I, it's like, you know it, but when you see it like that, you're like, and it was a reminder, like, the conversation has shifted very quickly. Like, yes. Like, and there's, there's still like a hangover of, and I didn't think about it, like, but the middle of COVID businesses were doing really well. Mm -hmm. And it was a strange, like we're in COVID, but businesses are doing well. And then this happened. And just, I think there's a, a shift in the tone right now around, we have to get a little more serious about this from a human perspective, but it's not all light and fluffy. It's heavy right oh. now. Um, how are we, how are we building organizations around humans, but also around performance? Because we have to, I mean, people are doing less with more with less, you know, and I think this yeah. adage of, of better, not bigger, which is pushing people to like, it's not as easy. It used to be, it used to be a little bit easier to throw money at problems. Now you can't, now you have to get more creative, you know, and now you'd be more thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And I, and I hope what happens is um, like, I think the past few years have taught me. One of the things that taught me is like executives are, are humans too. And like what they hypothesize or guesstimate what's going to happen within a business is not always like going to happen. Like they're making like human kind of predictions as well. Sometimes those things affect, they have a domino effect, right? Like I think taking in your leaders that work with you, if you're a CEO and saying, okay, HR, how how does your department come in and impact this decision, right? That I'm making as the leader of this organization, just, it's, you know, allowing more voices to impact decisions. When we talk about organizational design and all of these different things, hopefully that's become more aware because you do see a lot of shifting of leaders. One, one of the surprises for me was that one company that said they've seen like three CEOs in the past what, like a couple years. And, and that wasn't the only company, right? That was, 
I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, there's a leadership shift happening here too. Like what's going on, you know? You know, this might sound like a, a tangent, but it's coming up for me. And I think it kind of hits on what you're talking about. I think a lot often about, and for many years I have around um, our organizational designs and how yeah. we can talk about things. But if we have, if we have systems and designs in place that don't like, for instance, you know, I think of like a triangle, like most of our organizations design is a triangle. And then we say, we don't want competition and we want transparency. And we, and it's like, well, that's not really real. If you're, if you're operating in a triangle, it gets skinnier and skinnier towards the top. And, and, and that's fine. Like in the military, great. In a hospital, great. Just like reevaluating our structures and our organizations and making sure they're the best, like getting our organizations in shape, I call like circles or triangles. Yes. But that's led me to think about something that I think the way we kind of perpetuate these stories. I mean, how many times do you hear it's lonely at the top? Yeah. And we just accept that. And now I'm starting to think like, but okay, why don't we break that? That's sad. And when we have systems where there's just one person at the top all by themselves and we think we're going to get somewhere. So just with these things that I think we've thought about and, and even sold ourselves on and starting to push back on these ideas, you know, we work in these hierarchies and then say it's lonely at the top. Well, like, well, a circle has, you know, if you sit in a circle, there can be a leader of a circle. It's probably a lot right? less lonely as the leader of a circle than the leader of a triangle. Yeah. So um, someone said to me, because I was talking about like DEI and prioritization within the companies, they were like, you know, when there's a when there's a an economic issue at hand, the CEO is going to focus on that economic issue. You know, there's the concept of spinning plates, right? Like a couple of plates are gonna have to break. And I said, maybe the old way, but the new way is you hire someone who's going to pick who's gonna grab the plate that's spinning. While you focus on these two here, there's, to your point, a circle of other people who can pick up. So no plate really or minimal plates have to be dropped. No have all the plates. Now, look what we do. We live into that. You don't have to be the only one to spin that plate. You just have to be the one who's making sure it's orchestrated. You're an, you're a conductor, right? You're not playing all the, all the, all the instruments here. This is what we need to break. And this is, this is the new, but this yeah. is the new, what we're, uh, look, it's, it's, I've always said it's going to happen when we're, it's just how comfortably can we move through it? You can see it happening. Yeah. I have kids in school, like they are not going to walk easily into the world that we built. So we can either do it intentionally mm -hmm. or we can do it disruptively and make it. So let's just be intentional. And, yeah. and also, I think have empathy for the people that came up in a different system. That was the system they succeeded in. How yeah. see everybody. That transition, but that's all about like what your, HR and L and D and DE and I and culture people are there for is to assist with that. That's their area of expertise. Lean into it. So it's not just like one of the administrative pieces of the business. Tara, we could go for another 30 minutes. And we could easily like we, we could do our own show. Totally fine. But, but again, I've designed this podcast to be not like, Oh, well, I had that guest can't bring that person back. I, I would love this to go on and, and, you know, have, you know, be able to, pick up conversations again and keep keep these conversations going but i guess i'll just wrap with how grateful every time we speak i'm reminded how grateful i am that you're in my world and just the way you think and the conversations that we have and um just that the world is it makes me makes me feel better that people like you're out helping lead the charge and creating better i'm work. so glad we're connected and have been in various different ways throughout these years and so it's always just a pleasure to talk to you and remind myself of how Synchronicity is very important in the world. It really is amazing. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time. And as always, it was great to talk with you. And uh, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll see each other again soon. We will. We will. I'm excited to see it. Mm -hmm.